Good morning. My name is Samuel Mock. I'm the Director of Discipleship and Evangelism here at College Hill Presbyterian Church. It's my honor to bring you God's Word this morning. I thought we'd start with a, a story this morning. I'd like to tell you a little bit about my life. Uh, the more and more I come up here, the more and more you're going to get to know me. But first, I want to get to know you. So I have a question. When you were growing up, were you bad? <laughs> I see some heads like, yeah, yeah. I was, I was bad. I was what you call a problem child. Uh, and being married to a teacher, I hear stories about problem children pretty often. And, and one of the things that I hear pretty regularly is that children who cause the most problems in a classroom tend to be the ones that say, you know, you're my favorite teacher. To which my wife is always like, if you act like this in my classroom, how do you act in other people's classrooms? Well, I ask you this because I was that kid, and I did that in class, but I didn't even do it in my home. And so there was a time where I was acting out. My mother got on me, and you know me trying to be cute. I was like, ah, oh, Mom, but you know I love you. And she said something that stunned me. She said, if you love me, then act like it. It wasn't until that moment that I had ever thought that my obedience and my love could be tied together, that there was a connection. I didn't know how to respond. I felt a sense of guilt, a sense of weight in my chest. And so then I began to wonder, is this true? Is love and obedience connected to one another? Later, Jesus would tell me the same thing as I read through the scriptures, John 14, 15. He told me, if you love me, keep my commands. So in fact, love is tied to obedience. Our love, our obedience is tied to our love. So let's figure out, how do we grow in obedience? How do we grow in following Jesus Christ? Let us pray, and we'll dive into what God has for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, and we ask that you would strip away anything that would distract us from what you have to say to us this morning, God. Bring peace to our busy weeks that we may hear you. Let us not leave from here changed by your amazing love, as we've just sang about it. Help us to abide in you, Father. Remove me that your people will only hear from you. I pray this in your Holy Son, Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in a series all through the month of November, uh, in John 15, verses 1 through 12. So hopefully by now you guys have kind of caught on to this idea of abiding. Uh, I'm going to read the entire 15 through 12, but we'll specifically be working from verses 5 to 10. Uh, follow along with me, either in your pew Bibles or on the screen here. John 15. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. 
Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Ask the Father, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be made I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, as I said, we're going to be working from verses 5 to 10 uh, with a little sideshow from 11. And we're going to be doing it a little differently today. We're going to actually work our way backwards So we'll start in verse 10, uh, because this verse used to scare me. It says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And when I was a kid, I thought, is there like a, a line? Like, how many chances do I get before I no longer am in God's love? Where is this? imaginary line. And as I studied scripture, I found that, no, there's there's no line. This is not what he's saying. He's not saying that we must follow his commands to be loved by him. How do we know this? Well, because scripture tells us that Christ died for us while we were sinners. So before we cared of who God was, before we cared about Jesus, he already loved us. So then what could this mean. See, Jesus displayed his love for us on the cross, so his love is displayed in his obedience. Yet he says, remain in my love. But if we look, that is better translated to abide in my love, as we just sang. The Greek word is meno. It means to reside, to stay, to live, to put up permanent residence, to make our home in his love. So, let me reread the verse. It says, if you keep my commands, you will make your home, make yourself at home in my love, just as I've kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. It's an interesting phenomenon, but our obedience is built from the love of Christ it also leads us to a deeper love of Christ. Disobedience, however, draws our hearts away from God, while obedience draws us to him. So abide in my love, he tells us, so our joy may be made complete, verse 11. 
there's a beautiful love that the Lord has for us that we see more clearly when we abide. When we follow God and we obey him, our sin doesn't further distort the image of our true father, the one that loves us. This is what he meant when he said, abide in my love, that your joy may be made complete. This is where we find fulfillment in Christ, when we make our home in his love. Sin leads us to believe God is angry at us, that he does not love us. It leads us to try to find fulfillment in other places, many of which we know, whether that be drugs, alcohol, the love of friends and family, our accomplishments, all which will leave us empty and leave us wanting more. Yet Jesus, he makes it plain that he loves us in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. This begs the question, how did God the Father love God the Son? Well, we know from Genesis that they have been eternally in community with one another, in love with one another. This means that God has eternally loved you. From the beginning or before the beginning of time and past the end of time, God will love you. This, this, this scripture depicts a beautiful love that God has for us, that Jesus has for us, and it's displayed on the cross. Can I ask you, do you, do you think of God's love for yourself that way? Is this how you view the way he loves you. Scripture says that at one point, God the Father looks down upon Jesus, the Son, and he says, this is my Son, whom which I am well pleased. When you think of God, do you think of him as well pleased with you? That he loves you dearly. That there's a smile stretched across his face every time you speak to him, when you're praying, when you're talking to him. Is that how you view your relationship with God? Jesus longs for us to know the depth of his love for us. Just as he knows the depth of the love of the Father. And it's through the power of Jesus' love and the gift of the Holy Spirit that we obey. As the picture of Jesus' love becomes more clear to us, we fall more madly in love with him. And our love is directly tied to our obedience, as we said before. So the more we love God, the easier it is to obey him and abide in him and spend time in him. John Piper, a theologian, says it this way. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So understanding God's love for us leads us to loving him. And that love is marked by obedience, which glorifies God. You may be thinking, what does it look like to glorify God? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's right here in my notes. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, if you remain in me 
and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Here Jesus doubles down on this idea of remaining in him, or making our home in him. He says, make your home in my love, and let my words make their home with inside of you. This is what it looks like to glorify God, to live in the love of God and let his words of love live inside of us and be moving outwardly to those around us. This is what it looks like to bear fruit. Having a life built on the word of God and the love of God leads us to glorifying God. Jesus gives us the keys to understanding this. Really what he says when he says, have my words be in you, it means to study my word. Let them take root in your heart. Memorize these words, meditate on them, and they will flow from you. For some of us, if you have a bad memory, I have a bad memory. I take screenshots of verses that are helpful for me. Because there's nowhere I don't go without my phone. And so whenever I need to be reminded of the love I have for God and the love that he has for me, I read those verses. There's also a Bible app which has the entire Bible and even plans on it that is connected to your phone. And it's free. Few things are free in this life, but that is. But let's continue. So he says that when we abide in his love... And his words abide in us, that there's a crazy potential that's unlocked. He says, when we love God and his word lives in us, we can ask whatever we wish for, and it will be done for us. Now, some of y'all just caught a picture of Aladdin and Genie. I think we got a photo of them. This is not what God meant. You will not get three wishes. You will not be able to hit the lottery. This is not what Jesus is saying, that he will do whatever you want. But instead he's saying, when we live in his love and his words of love live in us, our desires begin to align with his will. And the more and more this happens... We will see that the things we ask for or that we pray for align with his will. So we begin to pray and participate in the will of God as we live in his love and his love lives inside of us. Do you catch that? I said pray and participate. What we pray for, we must be willing to participate in. I learned this a summer ago at a conference. This guy told me, He told this story where he'd been praying for this guy. He needed dialysis. He's like, man, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. The guy finally gets in for dialysis, but he's like, I don't have a car. Can you, can you give me a ride? He was like, man, I don't want to go out my way and take him to dialysis. It's like a 20 minute drive, which For some of y'all, not a big deal, but that's 40 minutes back and forth, and I don't like to drive, so I understood the dude's pain. But then God said to him, whatever you pray for, you must be willing to 
participate in. So obedience is when our words and actions become aligned with God's will. It's both and. If you pray that God moves in your friends' and family's lives, but you're unwilling to share the gospel with them, that is disobedience. If you pray that God would feed the hungry, and then you drive by the homeless without offering anything to them, whether it be a snack or food or stopping down the street to buy food for them, if you have the expenses and you fail to do this, that's disobedience. If you pray for something, you must partner with God as his hands and feet as long as you are able. And when we do this, God is glorified and we bear much fruit. Our obedience is tied to our fruitfulness. If you survey your life and you don't see the fruit of Christ, then ask yourself, Am I living in obedience? Fruitfulness Fruitfulness is loving God, loving and loving our neighbors. And that fruitfulness will lead to making disciples for Christ. This is what a life of abiding in Christ looks like. This is what loving obedience looks like. And it results in bearing fruit. Verse 5, Jesus says, If you remain in me or abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Verse 8, Jesus doubles down and says, If you bear much fruit, it is proof you are my disciple. So we cannot separate our obedience and our fruitfulness. And as Drew said a few weeks ago, there's seasons of fruitfulness, but we will always have the fruit of the Spirit, the love of Christ within inside of us. Even when we may not be seeing the change we want to make outwardly, we should be making change inwardly. Jesus makes it clear there's nothing we can do apart from him. And he's telling us that we will not see fruit if we're living disobedient. While Jesus desires that we would love him, that we would live our lives out of love for him, he also realizes that that will not be the case for all of us. And this is where verse 6 Comes in. He says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. This text actually echoes Ezekiel 15, where God allows judgment to fall on Israel for their disobedience. Ezekiel 15 is a short read. It's only eight verses. I encourage you to read it later when you get home today, but I'll read Two of the verses for us now. It's, this is the Lord speaking. He says, therefore, this is what the Lord, the sovereign Lord says. As I have given wood of the vine among the trees of the forest as fuel for the fire, so I will treat the people living in Jerusalem. 
I will set my face against them. Although they come out of the fire, they will yet be consumed by them. And when I set my face against them, you will know that I am the Lord. I will make the land desolate because they have been unfaithful, declares the sovereign Lord. There's so much that we could unpack from this verse. But to be respectful of your time and to make sure I get to second service, I'll just touch on one piece. There's a purpose for God's judgment. Did you catch it? He says that they would know I am the Lord. Even God's judgment that falls on us in this lifetime is an act of his love to call us back to him, to call us to obedience. If you're not living a life in love and loving obedience of God, you've probably felt the weight of that judgment, the emptiness and despair that comes from pursuing sin, the lack of peace that we get when we try to find our pleasure in other things other than God. That's all the world can offer us. It's fleeting comforts followed by deeper despair. But we don't have to live this way. Jesus offers us so much more. In fact, they call him the Prince of Peace. He offers a saving love. And Jesus models obedience for us. He doesn't just command it from us. Consider Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he prays and he sweats blood and cries drops of blood and and anxiousness of the cup that's before him, he says, Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. The cup that Jesus is speaking of is the cup of judgment, the cup of judgment that he would bear for each and every one of us, a judgment spiritually and physically being punished on the cross. This is the gospel that Jesus Christ took our place. He lived the perfect life, living sinless and dying for the sinful. That's us. He would raised from the grave on the third day, defeating sin and death for those of us who believe in him. And we get to live in his love and his joy right now on this earth. And yet, there's a day that we look forward to, one more precious than the time here, a day where Jesus will return and he will take those who love him to heaven, to live with him forever. And those who do not love Jesus, those that don't make his home in their love, they will bear the full weight of judgment. This is a heavy reality and one we must respond to, this truth. We have a few options. We could deny it, We could walk away, never give it a second thought. But I believe that because you were here or because you were watching online, you're investing in Jesus. You're wondering, who is this Jesus? 
And I pray you find deeply the love that he has for you. If you're investigating Jesus, keep coming back. Ask questions. Join a growth group. It's our small groups that we have where we study scripture to understand who he is more and more each day. Maybe you've found the evidence you need and you're ready to commit your life to Jesus. We as a church would love to walk alongside of you on that road. At the end of our service, we'll have people praying on both sides uh, of these doors here. And you can also share that with our staff, either one. But you can discuss that with them, and uh, we would love to walk alongside of you. Or you could share it with the person that brought you here. Maybe you're following Jesus, but you recognize, I've been living in sin. It's time to repent, to confess to Jesus, who already loves you and is waiting on that conversation. And then find somebody to help you walk in obedience as you strive to live this life out together, as we all do, to follow Christ. And maybe you're already following God, and for the most part, you're living the way he calls you to. That's good news. And you have a different response, a different assignment. Jesus is asking you, who can you take the message of the gospel to? Who is he asking you to engage, to invest time with the way that he's invested into you? Shameless plug. December 1st, we're going to have an outreach. And uh, that's a wonderful opportunity for a fun night. Sometimes people don't want to invite people to church. But you can invite them to our karaoke night and uh, trivia night. A very fun experience. December 1st, I believe it will be at 6 o'clock. Let us make our home in the love of God. And then let's invite others to do the same. Amen. All right. I'll pray for us, and then we will uh, have Jesus University come up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing love that you have for us. Help us to live in it. Draw us in, Father. Remove any lie of the enemy that would convince us that we are not cherished by you, deeply loved by you, and that our actions can never change that. Father, I want to lift up your people. I pray for the family of Bill Graham who passed this last week. Would you comfort the family? Draw near to them, Lord, in this time of loss. Father, I pray for Lois, the mother of Robin Reichel, as she recovers from a heart attack and having heart stents. And we pray for Dan, her father, as he was diagnosed last week with AFib. Lord, would you comfort them? Would you heal them, Lord? We know of your great power, and we ask if it be your will to do so. To heal them, Father, and draw near to them, them and their family, to comfort them and let them know your amazing peace. 
Father, I give thanks to you that Sherry is home, Sherry Munez, and that she's recovering. And I pray that her memory would begin to improve. I ask that you would heal the lesions in her brain. And I pray for Mike as he continues to shoulder the weight of this situation. Father, I pray that you would bring incredible comfort to both of them. I pray that we as the church would be able to show them your love in the middle of a tough season. I pray all of this and so much more in your Holy Son, Christ Jesus' name. Amen.